Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Steve Hogg at First Baptist Church in Rock Hill. Really glad you've joined us for this telecast. The sermon you're going to hear today is from Easter Sunday two weeks ago. I pray God blesses you and speaks to your heart. Thank you for watching. of sin and death are chains but he with blood our freedom bought it was finished on the cross it was finished on the cross the weight of sin Swallowed up by righteousness and vanquished by the Son of God. It was finished on the cross. Yes, it was finished on the cross. Now we
Let's give our Lord a hand. Give, give the Lord Jesus a standing ovation today. You know, there, there are many times we, we applaud and, and celebrate, but nobody deserves celebrating more than Jesus because he won for us forgiveness, eternal life, and victory over the grave. I want to talk about two graves, Jesus' grave and your grave. Last Sunday after worship, Monisa and I drove to Kentucky to check on her parents who are in the nursing home and visit my mother and my family. And Jack, Will, and our daughter and her two children went with us. Monisa's parents had not seen uh, uh, Liliana until that trip. One day while we were there, Jacqueline had not been to the old home place in several years, the farm that uh, I grew up on, my father grew up on, that belonged to my grandfather. And it's been sold and changed, doesn't look the same, uh, wouldn't recognize the place except in my memory. But the family cemetery that my grandfather started when he was a very young man is still there. My great-grandparents are buried in that cemetery. My grandparents are buried there. My dad is buried there. The uncle, my, my dad's favorite uncle, whom he named me after, is buried there. And so Jacqueline wanted to go see the, the home place, and, and that's the only plot of land we still own is that family cemetery in the middle of it. We'll own it in perpetuity. And... Um, that's my father's headstone where they're at. Um, and on the bottom of it, you can't, you can't see it, but there's a Bible verse that says, I saw a new heaven. It's from the book of Revelation. And Jacqueline, as we were leaving, asked me if I was the one who selected that Bible verse, and I said yes. Because Dad had not known the Lord and had lived a fairly sinful life at times. And... Um, Less than a year before he died of cancer, he became a follower of Christ, and there were some real dramatic changes in his life. And as I read Scripture and prayed, I chose that verse because that farm, that, that land had been so important to him and to our family. But I knew when he died, he saw a better place, a new heaven. His life on earth had not always been good, but because he had been saved by the blood of Christ... He was now good, and he was seeing a, a better heaven, a new heaven. I just thought it summarized some things, and we, we put that on there. And um, the truth is, Easter, the resurrection of Christ we celebrate every Easter, changes how you and I view graves. Because we're filled with such hope. There was a Muslim cleric. And I appreciated what Joshua said about Christians being persecuted in the Middle East because it's so true and in parts of Africa and Asia as well. There was a Muslim cleric speaking to a Christian missionary one day and said to him almost in a mocking fashion, you have to admit that we have one thing you don't and it's better than anything you have. The missionary was curious, so he asked, well, what is that? The Muslim cleric said, well, when we visit Medina in Saudi Arabia, there's a mosque. And in that mosque is the body of Muhammad. 
But when you Christians go to Jerusalem, all you have is an empty tomb. I'd rather have a living Savior than a dead prophet. Wouldn't you? The fact that Jesus is not dead but alive means we have hope. It means we win. And I want you to take a look at the tomb of Jesus today with fresh eyes as we talk about these two graves, his grave and your grave. In Matthew 28, the Bible says, Now after the Sabbath, so it's early Sunday morning, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon on why did the angel sit on the stone? Part of it was just to make sure it remained open, not so Jesus could get out, but so we could see in and see that it was empty. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They passed out. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Now look at that again. He is not here, for he has what church? He is risen. Just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. That's why the angel moved the stone. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you in Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples everything they had heard and experienced. It's early Sunday morning before daylight, still dark outside, and these women, Mary and Mary Magdalene, make their way to the tomb to properly anoint the body of Christ for burial because it had been taken down so quickly the previous uh, a few days when he, when, he, when he died because of the, uh, the approaching holiday, they didn't have time to prepare it properly. And so they were going there with ointments and so on to prepare his body for proper burial and when they arrived they saw something very different than they actually expected i want you to think about that empty tomb in jerusalem think about the person it held think about his greatness we often travel distances to visit sites related to famous people and great people I remember a few summers ago I spent a week with my mom just taking her to visit relatives and see places in Kentucky. And we stopped at uh, Abraham Lincoln's burial place in central Kentucky. And she was fascinated by that. I'd been there previously. She'd never seen it. And I, I can still in my mind see her. She stood there looking at that spring from which he and his family had, drew, had gotten water when he was a, a little boy, a little baby. When I was a senior in high school, our class took a trip to New York City and Washington, D.C., and I have a photograph of me standing beside President John Kennedy's grave. And you can see that eternal flame. 
Four or five years ago, Monisa and I were in San Antonio, Texas, and we took a day and drove up to LBJ, President Johnson's ranch. And we stopped at that place I'd seen on television and in books many times where he was buried and Billy Graham had officiated his funeral. And I read his headstone. I remember visiting President Washington's home in Virginia and walking down that little path below his house to see his simple marker at his burial place. I remember Monisa and I celebrating our 20th anniversary going to Hawaii. And on Easter Sunday afternoon of all days, visiting Pearl Harbor and standing on that platform that straddles the Arizona with those sailors entombed beneath, watching as the oil still bubbled to the top and reading those names on that wall in front of me and being touched by the sacrifice they made and knowing that it was the resurrection day. And then three years ago when we were in Italy, in Rome, visiting Circus Maximus, the place where the Romans would have those big chariot races and the place where the Romans first martyred saints. And standing on what were the remains of that racetrack, knowing that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of God's people had died there centuries ago. We travel and we do things to remember great people and famous people. But brothers and sisters, I tell you that the person who was in that tomb in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago is the greatest person that there has ever lived on this planet. He's, he's God. He's King of kings. He's Lord. He's, he's Savior. There's no one greater than Jesus, and he's the one who was placed within that tomb. That tomb held the body of the one who loved me and loved you and loved everyone. Can you just imagine Jesus after he's arrested by the Romans being scourged as they strip the clothing from his back and tie his wrists together and, and, and stretch him between heaven and earth and these two burly soldiers stand behind him, each with a whip? And on the end of that leather thong are, are nine pieces of leather. And attached to those nine pieces of leather are, are pieces of glass and stone and metal used to cut. And every time they threw the whip, one lash, it cut him nine times. Nine times 39, 351 separate cuts on the body of Christ as he was scourged by these well-conditioned, physically strong, brutal Roman soldiers. That's the body that was placed in that tomb. He's the one who loved you. And, and, and he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own free will voluntarily because he loves you. He suffered a cruel death before his burial because he loves you. That tomb held the body of the one we love and the one we worship not only does he love us, we love him. These women who visit his tomb early that first Easter, these are the women who had followed him during his itinerant ministry. 
the women who had washed his feet, the women who had cooked his meals, the women who sat and listened to him teach, the women when he was hanging on the cross that had not abandoned him but stayed there every moment. And now they're making their way to the cross to lovingly, lovingly prepare his body for burial. Last Sunday I mentioned that bombs had exploded in two different Christian churches in Egypt, killing, now we know, 45 Christians. It's estimated that worldwide 90,000 believers are martyred every year. Think about that. In a decade, almost 1 million Christians die because of their faith. Men and women who love Jesus, Men and women who are willing to sacrifice everything to remain true to the one who died on the cross and was buried in that grave and raised from the dead so they could have life. That's who was in that tomb. And it was a costly tomb. It was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, their high court that asked for his body. The cross was laid down on the ground and the nails pulled from both wrists. The nails pulled out of his feet as they hurriedly wrapped his body in cloth and carried him to that tomb. But, but it's the tomb of a wealthy man. Joseph was wealthy. An average Jew was not buried in a tomb carved out of stone. It was a special one. And it's as though Joseph of Arimathea had said, This man, this man Jesus has been abused enough he's been laughed at enough he's been scorned enough he's king he's god he's lord and he's worthy of something better that's who was in that tomb can you imagine the power of god descending from heaven and shaking the earth saying to the stone against the tomb he's alive the tone the stone rolls from the entrance and shakes the tree and says he's alive the tree trembles and says to the bird on its limb he's alive the bird spreads its wing and flies to the clouds and sings he's alive the clouds float up to heaven and say to the father and to his angels he's alive and the heavenly choir the angels sing for the universe and for you and me and for eternity he's alive i'm glad our savior is alive and we don't worship a dead prophet <clears throat> but what about your grave That tombstone in Kentucky where my father is buried has his name and date of birth and date of death on it. And on the other side is my mother's name. Mom turns 80 this July. We're having a surprise party for her. Don't tell anybody, okay? But her name and her birth date are already etched in that stone. The only thing remaining is to etch in the date of her death someday in the future. I'm going to die. You are going to die. What about my grave? What about your grave? Who will be in that grave? 
What will people be able to say about the person in your grave? See, it all depends on the life you live and the relationship with Jesus you either have or do not have. You're either going to face your grave with fear and trepidation or with assurance and hope. Heard about a man some years ago who had a terminal illness and the closer it got to the day of death, he kept saying over and over and over, I will not die, I will not die, I will not die, as if he was willing himself to live. He kept saying that until he died. In the 1800s, one of the great missionaries of our faith was Adoniram Judson, grew up like Joshua, the son of a pastor, P.K., when he went off to college, he developed some close friendships with atheists and he left the faith and became an actor. One night he was staying at an inn in the upstate of New York and he heard on that same floor a man cursing loudly in his room. Went on for hours. Finally, died down in the middle of the night and the following morning he was speaking with the clerk and he asked him about about the man what was going on and he learned that the man was actually one of his college friends who had influenced him to leave the faith and his man had died that night and he was cursing because he was so afraid Adonai Judson rededicated his life to Jesus, became a great missionary of the church, and would later say without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would all pass from this life kicking and screaming. How are you going to face your grave with hope or fear, with confidence and knowledge or with ignorance and wishful thinking? How are you going to face your grave? And when you're finally buried in that place, wherever it is, and your family gathers around, and they will, your friends will be there. What will they say about the man? What will they say about the woman being buried in that grave? What will they say about the life you've lived, the love you showed? the good things you did? What will they say about your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ? What will they say about eternity and your future? Will they gather there as people filled with hope and comfort and joy because of where you are? Or will they gather there as people who have no hope and they're uncertain and they don't know what, what, what you're experiencing? There was, a, there was a man who was a year behind me in high school. His name was Ricky. When he was 20 years old, he was out one night in his Corvette, and he was drunk. Ran off the road and hit a tree, and he was killed instantly. I remember very early on Sunday morning, because it happened on Saturday night, very early on Sunday morning getting a phone call telling me about Ricky. And uh, Moniz and I went over to the house to visit his young widow. 
two kids. Knew Kathy really well. She and Monisa were cheerleaders together in high school. And I can still see Kathy sitting on that couch across the room saying to me, He's in hell. He's in hell. She was right. And there was nothing I could say to bring her comfort. You see, once you are in the grave, you cannot change your reality. And no one on earth speaking can change your reality. Once you are in the grave, it's fixed. And it's fixed forever. It's only in the here and now. It's only in this life. It's only before you face the grave that you have the opportunity to receive forgiveness and everlasting life and the promise of a resurrection. See, your grave is going to be holding your body, but it won't hold your soul. Because the body placed in the grave where you are buried will have been the earthly house for your soul that will at that moment in time either be experiencing eternal bliss in heaven or eternal torment in hell. There was a, an eight-year-old boy who had a tragic accident one day. He fell from some a, a, a high swing on a, on a playground, and, he, and he just, it, it was awkward. just came down on his back really, really hard on the ground. This was before the days we had all the soft stuff we have now on playgrounds. And uh, he just didn't seem to recover. They found out that it had, that, that fall had been so hard and so abrupt it ruptured his heart. And over a matter of days, he passed away. The pastor talked about visiting that family and how, how, how as you can imagine, how upset they were. But he said the, the last time he went... To visit them, their demeanor was different. And the mom described for the pastor how the little boy had, had woken up, whether it was from sleep or a coma, but he, he, was, he, he woke up and told them that three angels had come to see him and told them that very soon they would come back to take him to live with Jesus. It was later that day he died. See, you, you're, you're going to be in that grave. Your family's going to gather around it. And either there's real hope because of Christ or there's not. Either you know Christ or you don't. Either the, the power of the resurrection is real in your life or it isn't. And just as Jesus chose to die so you could live, you must choose him so you can live. And this morning, I'm inviting you to choose Jesus. I'm inviting you to choose forgiveness. I'm inviting you to choose heaven. I'm inviting you to choose eternal life. I'm inviting you to choose a new heart and a new way and a new future. Pastors are going to be here at the front, people who are glad to talk with you and pray with you. And I'm going to invite you to make your way to where they're standing and say to one of these pastors, Pastor, today, I'm choosing Jesus.